course, like every other teenage kid, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. When I was 16 years old, I took off and drove across the country to Wyoming, went into the Wind River Range and discovered mountains. In 1973, Yvonne Chouinard founded Patagonia. I never wanted to be a businessman. All I wanted to do was do my craft and climb mountains. So then I had to figure out a way to where I was going to be a businessman, but I was going to do it completely on my own terms. Build the best product, cause no unnecessary harm, inspire and implement solutions to the environmental crisis. Join us at Patagonia.com. So just a quick heads up. This episode contains discussions about assault. So if you're listening with young ears or have particularly sensitive ears, it might be better to just catch us on the next episode and tune out now. You're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries, a production of Duct Tape Thin Beer, with additional support from REI, Fireside Provisions, and Kuat Racks. As a mom, you have no book that tells you the right way to take care of your kids through bad times. Ultimately, I was getting very, very depleted from trying to be the battery that the whole family tapped into, but I wasn't recharging that battery. So as I was trying to keep everybody else afloat, I was sinking fast. Meet Bonnie Elizori, mother of four. I could be really strong for the girls when I was around them, but when I wasn't, I found myself like crying all the time and getting weepy. And the doctor eventually said that, you know, I had situational depression, just too much had happened too soon. And so when I wasn't actively trying to save a kid, I would just have these big crashes. And I I remember feeling just such fear, like, I don't think they're seeing how low I am. And if I don't get out there, I'm not going to make it. Like, that's how strong my feelings were. Seven years of relentless bad luck had left the whole Elizori family run down. Bonnie had hit her bottom, and with no book to guide her and her family, she had to find her own route to higher ground. But finding that path to make things feel like they were back on track, it's, it's not simple, especially when it feels like you can't catch a break. Finding time to step away is never easy. I mean, we all know how hard that is. So how do you find that when you've got a family with four kids that depend on you. For Bonnie, it took a little nudge from someone who loved her dearly and a moment of clarity that she had to act on her long harbored dream. Today, our producer, Jen Alchel, brings you the story of a strong mother and the path she took to pull her and her family out of the depths of depletion and depression. Not just to pull them out, but to make them all stronger as individuals and as a family. I'm Fitzgahal, and you're listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. We are like a very close-knit and like a very silly family. This is Diana. The Elizora's youngest daughter. We just have all these little inside jokes. It was 2012 when Bonnie hit her version of the bottom. But if you go back just a few years, the Elizora's looked a lot like a classic, happy, big, always too busy Floridian family. 
Bonnie and her husband Daniel had four kids, ranging 10 years in age. They adopted their eldest, Cody, from Texas as an infant. Their oldest daughter, Bryn, was a biological surprise child. And they adopted their youngest daughters, Ruthie and Diana, from China. Bonnie tended to the family and worked part-time. Daniel worked for the family business, a wholesale glass company. We had about 250 employees, and they were multi-generational employees. So they were people that were our family. All of our family worked there. It had been there for 53 years, and everything of the entire extended family was in that business. It was 2005 when the bad luck began. First, their house caved in during remodel and became infested by rats. The next year, the family business burnt down. Little did we know what was going on with all the big banks. We'd never heard the word bundling. We had no idea what was coming financially. So we took everything we had, everybody in the family did, put everything back into the business, including all the kids' college money, and lost it all when the financial crisis hit. When that happened, her husband found himself essentially unemployable. My husband had a degree as an engineer, which was no longer a useful degree because he'd been in the family business for 17 years. So he decided to go back to school. I was trying to keep everything together so that everything was normal for the kids. So they still had full access to me. They still had home-cooked meals. They still had a mom that was around. I was still doing carpool. I was picking them up. When she wasn't with the kids, she worked multiple jobs to help make ends meet. I work in a children's hospital, so I help to try to take the trauma out of the hospital experience for children, teach them about their diseases or about the procedures they're going to go through through play. She helped a friend with a kosher catering company. I also have worked off and on facilitating international adoptions. I was doing anything to get money to keep the house afloat. And, you know, it's one of those things, and I know a lot of people have been through it, that when you're in just the muck pit, every time you climb out, you think, okay, I fixed that. We're going to be okay. And then it just didn't stop. The dog died. Then my husband's father dies. Their son, Cody, joined the Army and was sent to the Middle East. Our one daughter, Ruth, was 13, and she started to get all involved in technology. And she thought she was talking to boys, but was, in fact, talking to pedophiles. It got so bad, Bonnie and Daniel got the FBI involved. Daniel managed to intercept Ruthie on her way to the mall to meet one of the men in person. After she started to get in trouble with boys at school, too, Bonnie decided to just homeschool her instead. And then one day, Bryn called me. The first things I heard was, Mom, I've been raped. And I just remember collapsing, like literally falling on the floor. And I don't remember screaming, but the other kids heard me screaming. And that was it. I just didn't know how to pick up the pieces and how to help this kid. And I really was feeling like I was putting my girls out into the world and they were getting very, very hurt. And I just didn't know how to live in a world where people were hurting my children. Bryn would 
have crashing times, of course, you know, where she would get very low. So when she would have her really bad times, Ruthie and I would jump in the car, drive to North Carolina, just cook all week, take care of her, and leave her freezer full of food, and, and then head back. On the way back from one of the trips to visit Bryn College in North Carolina, Bonnie got a phone call from her husband. And he said, I've been thinking about it. You've always dreamed of hiking the AT. I think you should do it. It just hit. It hit so solidly, like, oh, my gosh, this is going to save our lives. Like, this will save my life because I, I knew that I was that low. Bonnie didn't wait until she got home, had time to think it over or do some research. She was so convinced about hiking the AT with her kids as a way to save their family. She pulled off the freeway in Charlotte, North Carolina and stopped at the local gear shop. And I'm all embarrassed. I'm in my little, you know, suburban housewife dress or whatever. And they all, it turns out every single person in there had hiked the AT. So as soon as I said, I was thinking of, I don't know, I think I'm going to hike the AT. They all ran over. And the best advice I ever got for the whole entire hike happened in that store. And one of the guys said, stop saying, I might, I think I will. You sound so hesitant. You gotta throw it out in the world. I am hiking the AT. I am hiking the whole AT. I will be starting the AT this year. That was the best advice he gave me because when I got home and I started telling everybody that I was hiking the AT, I was just hit with a wall of negativity. My parents thought it was actually like abusive to the children. They wanted to take the children away and they would provide schooling, they were telling me, and that I could go off with my crazy ideas and do what I needed to do, but they weren't going to sit by and let the children go. The crazy thing is that everybody around us thought that I was doing something completely unsafe. And I kept saying to people, really? Because what's more unsafe than pedophiles and rapists who have already gotten my daughters? Like, what's more unsafe? How could the woods be any more unsafe than that? Armed with the support and confidence of her husband and her brother, Bonnie pressed on through the onslaught of negativity and concern. Then she told the kids. The first one that I said had to go was Ruthie because I knew that she needed to totally get away from the bad influences that she was going through. And she was 17 and very negative and kind of like, okay, maybe, I don't know. And she was the ballerina. She's the one who likes to be clean, who likes to be pretty. Her favorite color is pink. Just looking at the backpack, she's like, why do they have to be so ugly? They're all, everything is brown. So we made sure that all of our hiking clothes are really bright colors. Then Bonnie asked Diana. I guess since I was 12, I was going through one of the like phases where I didn't enjoy taking showers. I found it to be a big fat waste of five minutes of my time. So I asked her, I was like, well, okay, let's just say if I go with you, do I have to take a shower? And she said, no. I mean, you're going to be on the trail where there are going to be showers. And I said, okay. Also, like, uh, can I have a knife? And she was like, yeah, of course. And I was like, that's really cool. And um, can we just like eat all the junk food we want? And she said, of course, I mean, you have to. And I was like, that's cool, I will go with you. You have made up my mind. 
my son was coming back. He was getting out of the army, and it was really wonderful and perfect timing. And he said, yeah, I haven't, I really don't know Diane. I don't know my little sister that much. I've been gone for most of her life, and I'd like to do it just to be there. And then my daughter, Brynn, is an outdoor recreation major. So for her, it was just a no-brainer to join us. They planned to start the hike in the Shenandoahs in Virginia. Bonnie figured if they started there, they'd have enough time to make it to the northern end of the trail in Maine before it got too cold. The two older kids would hike as long as they could, then leave to go back to college. If all went well, Bonnie, Ruthie, and Diana would hike to Maine, then catch a ride back down to the Shenandoahs and hike to Springer, the southern end of the trail in Georgia. By the fall, they would have covered all 2,189 miles. In the hiker community, it's called a flip-flop hike. Daniel dropped Bonnie and the kids off at the trailhead in May of 2013. I just always remember seeing everybody laughing and skipping and running up into the woods. And I turned to my husband, and I didn't even feel it coming. I just burst out crying. And I looked at him, and I said, I'm going to kill your children. (laughs) I don't know enough. But he just luckily started laughing. He's like, you know plenty. You know you know this. You're going to be fine. And, you know, just his confidence was so solid. He just said the right thing at the right time. But, you know, the the awesomeness, the the hugeness of what I was taking on and knowing that so many people thought I was going to fail, I guess it all hit at that moment. But I never looked back. That was the lowest point of the whole trail. And I headed into those woods and it just got better and better. At the end of the third day, Bonnie and the kids made their first big rookie mistake. We were eating our dinner near our tents, not in them, but near enough, too close. Let's put it that way. The bear just came up and he started to just walk past us, which was amazing because we were covered in food. But it was so scary because his eye stayed on us. So we just got this creepy feeling of his eye just taking in the scene. But... The bear chugged along down the trail and out of sight. Bonnie and the kids hung their food from a tree a good distance away, cleaned their camp thoroughly, and zipped into their tents. An hour later, the bear came back. It started to circle the tents, knocking over anything the hikers had left out. Well, I had read that when a bear comes, you should talk in a very monotone, low voice. So I decide I'm going to start saying, go away, big bear, which makes my two older kids just about kill themselves in laughter. Like, really? Wow, he feels so much better, Mom, now that you're taking care of it. So they're over there kind of mocking me for trying to handle the situation. The two little ones, I say to them, hey, guys, oh, my gosh, that bear came back. And they're like, yeah, okay whatever and they go back to sleep so i just remember being kind of miffed that she like woke me up when i was about to fall asleep i was too tired to be scared you know in that moment i was like this is like the most intense mothering moment i had these two little kids with me that I had adopted from China. You always worry, are they bonded? Am I the right mother for them? Are they gonna trust me? And in that moment, they had complete trust that I was gonna handle the situation. And then the two older kids started kind of strategizing with me about what we could do about the bear. And that was kind of cool too, because it was showing the evolution of our relationship. I was more like a coach and not this mom. Like I was still needed for advice, but it wasn't totally my decision what was gonna happen here. 
The bear tromped in circles around the Allegory's tents for almost an hour before it got bored and lumbered off. But its visit marked a shift in Bonnie's perspective, on herself and on what her family was capable of. And that's when I knew I was going to make it, because, you know, I didn't know if the two younger daughters, if they were going to actually make it, if things were going to scare them. Because certainly if they were terrified, I would have taken them off the trail. If they were hurt, I would take them off the trail, things like that. And here was the scariest incident, and it didn't bother them at all. As the days got longer, the two older kids went their separate ways. A month and a half in, Bryn went back to Boone for school. Cody had planned to hike with his family for the entire summer, but two months in, he announced he was going home early, too. He says, Mom, you got this. And I said, what do you mean? I know I got this. And he said, well, I was only out here because I just wanted to make sure you and the girls are safe. But now that I know you're safe, I'm going back to school and I'm going home. Bonnie continued north with Diana and a still reluctant Ruthie. When she went out there, she was playing that card where she was just, you know, oh, I can't do this. And she would get weepy and she would get tired and she would she was trying to walk very slow because she thought I would let her go. And, I, you know, it seemed kind of mean. And I did have hikers in the beginning kind of saying, like, I don't know, this isn't something you can force. But once everybody left and maybe that's what it took and it was just the three of us, Ruthie really stepped up her game and got very proud, like none of us know she's an awesome map reader. She has a great sense of where she is at all times. That is one of the things she's most proud of now. She was dragging in the beginning, but at the end, we couldn't have done it without her. It's tradition on the trail that every thru-hiker gets their own trail name. The three Elizori women were deemed the Florida flip-floppers. Bonnie got the nickname Kamamdo. One time somebody stopped us and they said, you guys are so funny. You're either laying in water, like if it's an inch of water, you're such Floridians, you have to get in it, or you're eating. Like you're always eating or playing. (laughs) It was true. And that was my attitude about the trail. I wanted the girls to love it. I wasn't going to be about miles. I hoped we'd do the whole thing, but if we didn't, we didn't. It was just going to be our story and what we did. If the girls loved a spot, they put up the tent and stayed. If they wanted to get out of an area, they kept moving. If they wanted two rest days in a row, they took them. Like any big undertaking, there were days when it seemed like anything that could go wrong did. Like the day the tent pulleys broke, the support system for their backpacks cracked, Bonnie got a migraine, and a massive hailstorm pinned them in their tents for 17 hours. And I just started crying, and I said to the girls, I don't know if I can go on. Like, I was physically really tired, and I was just sick of being in that tent. I was sick of being wet, and I just was sick of trying to fix everything. And I just remember the two girls just threw their arms around me, and they're rubbing my back and rubbing my head, and they're like, Mom, it's going to be all right. We're going to make you some dinner, and we're going to see this, and I really want to see the horses and the hot Islands. And they just pulled me right back into focus about what we were doing out here and why it was important. And that was a beautiful moment when I knew that it wasn't just my dream and that it wasn't just me seeing the benefits of this, but that the girls were actually fighting to continue the dream and to see, to see it to the end. say 
every time he came to visit us that we were getting stronger and stronger as a unit. He goes, I almost felt kind of jealous of the intensity of your relationship and how you guys can speak without speaking and how you guys can set up a camp and take down a camp and move around each other and know exactly what each other needs. It's just the most beautiful moment for a mother when you know you're totally simpatico with your kids, that you guys have blended. And I think it comes from needing each other equally. Like I was no longer the yes, no person. Like, you know, I needed them as much as they needed me. That makes for a really beautiful relationship when you can realize that you rely on each other's strengths. On September 17th, 2013, Bonnie, Ruthie, and Diana summited Katahdin, surrounded by other thru-hikers they had walked with since May. The girls looked at me and they said, oh my gosh, thank goodness it's not over. I'm so glad we have, you know, 800 more miles. And the other hikers were like, I'm so jealous of you. I can't believe you guys get to keep going. For the next two months, the three Elijori women trucked south through the green tunnel. Then Diana tripped over a downed tree and broke her arm. The first doctor they saw said he'd have to operate on her arm and Diana would have to give up her hike. She started crying and she said, you can't stop me. I only have 800 miles. (laughs) That was the only time the kid cried. Bonnie took Diana to another doctor who set the bone, wrapped her arm in a hard plaster cast and sent them back out. They picked up where they left off and continued their southbound march. They kept walking through what should have been Diana's first day back to school and through the meeting where Diana's teachers and principals sat down and decided that she could show up as late as she needed to. And they decided that she was getting a much better education. That was the words of the principal, a much better education than she would be getting back in school. On December 7th, the Florida flip-floppers made it to Springer Mountain, Georgia. My husband hung up all these streamers so that they could actually break the crepe paper streamers, and they were very strict that they each hold one of my hands, and at the same time, one, two, three, step onto Springer, you know, and finish the trail like that. I think if we were like close-knit before we actually like literally like stuck together I suppose like when you put too many noodles at once like fettuccine sticks together sometimes so I guess it's kind of like that. I have profoundly changed because I really clearly got that I'm the right mom for my kids and I just see how strong they are when Diana went back to school the school said it's like she's on fire she is so open to learning she's just pulling information in she's giving information out she has so much more to context information when I went to my doctor you know my doctor said physically she could not believe how loud my lungs sounded when she listened to them like I was just in such top physical health and I mean I was 50 years old. It was pretty cool to hear that you're like in the best physical shape that you've been in. But I knew knew that deep inside, I had a peace and a calmness because I knew that no matter how bad things would get, that nature really is for me the thing that's going to right me, the thing that's going to make me have the space to think. I think what the trail mostly teaches you is that you can get through some of the hardest trials in life and you can still come out okay, and or even better in some cases, you can come out even better. 
I mean, it's taught all my kids that, that we can go through these bad times, but you don't have to always accept it. No matter what happens to you in life, you can make choices to shift what's happening to you and how you take in what's happening to you. I, it's so hard to articulate just how profoundly it changed every person in our family. But it did. It really saved us. Diaries are made possible by the good people of Patagonia, who stand in solidarity with the Gwich'in people of Alaska. The Gwich'in have depended on the caribou that migrate through the Arctic refuge for hundreds and hundreds of generations. For the last 30 years, they have fought proposed oil extraction projects in the pristine coastal plain where the caribou calve their young. Join the fight and ask your senators to designate the coastal plain of the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge as wilderness. Sign the petition now at patagonia.com slash arctic. Additional support comes from REI and from Fireside Provisions. Also, from Kuat Racks, makers of a better bike rack. Need a rad gift for a cyclist in your life this holiday season? Check out their lineup of easy-to-use, elegant roof racks and hitch racks at kuatracks.com. And maybe you need something underneath the Christmas tree. Thanks, Kuat. You, our listeners, you guys also keep the diaries thriving. Whether it's $100 or 5 your contributions really do give us what we need to keep making the diaries better. To pledge your support, visit our website and look for the button in the upper right-hand corner. Thank you. Huge thanks to Bonnie and Diana for taking the time to share their story. Music Today from Kai Engel published the question David Mumford. The tracks are courtesy of Free Music Archive. Jacob Bain and Nice Koto composed our theme song. You can find links to our artists at our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. This episode was produced by Jen Altschult and Becca Cahal. I'm Fitz Cahal, and you've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in. Happy holidays. Happy holidays.